0: Welcome to the Real People, Real Business Show. My name is Stephanie Hayes and I'm a business strategist who loves to speak with like-minded entrepreneurs to share their real stories and the gritty details on building their businesses. On this show, you won't hear about the glamorized entrepreneurship journeys that you see online. You won't be told how to make six figures in six weeks. Instead, you can expect to hear real vulnerable and inspiring stories you can relate to that have helped create the foundation of each of our guests' businesses. Goodbye, boss babes. Hello, real-life entrepreneurs. Today, I'm so excited to welcome Ken Babcock. Ken is the co-founder and CEO of Tango, which allows users to create beautiful step-by-step tutorials of any digital process without the performance art of video recordings. Ken, along with his co-founders, Brian Schultz and Dan Giovacchini, dropped out of harvard business school during the pandemic to start the company. since then the company has grown to nearly 50,000 users and 20 full-time team members. welcome to the show ken and thanks so much for taking the time to share your story today.
1: thanks stephanie. yeah, and you know, a quick update we're we're now 35 people and 200,000 users. so wow. Um, yeah, things have things have really escalated i think since we first got in touch.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, that's that's what your bio said, but I think that's an amazing that's an amazing place for us to start the conversation. So clearly, in a short period of time, you have grown this business. You have experienced growth that a lot of people might be really um, excited to hear about. So tell me the story. How did you end up digital process management, digital process recordings? Tell me the
1: story. Yeah, so when my co-founders, Brian, Dan, and I, we were at Harvard Business School. Um, we had been introduced through mutual friends, um, got along great as friends, and quickly realized that we were all there to, to do something entrepreneurial, um, whether start a company, join an early stage company. The thing we kept coming back to, are the, the ideas that we um, enjoyed talking about, all related to team performance and what makes teams tick, what makes teams high-performing. Um, you know, cause we, I think we've all had the experience of, um, a team is not just the sum of its parts, right. There's something intangible there. And so, you know, what we honed in on was really, you know, within a team, you've got these high performers and the ability for a high performer to share and scare, scale their knowledge to the rest of the team that really creates a high performing team. And so the more we spent with that, um, you know, I wouldn't even call it problem, but just opportunity that every team has, the more we realize that the problem, you know, lied with documentation, Um, people dread documentation. In fact, when I say the word, most people kind of wince, but you know, it takes too long to create. Once you do it, it gets outdated pretty quickly. Um, And then once it's outdated, you know, people start pinging you with questions and um, you become almost like a support manager for that piece of documentation you created. So for us, we said, you know, what if we could, lower the barrier to creating documentation? What if we could remove that dread? Um, and that was something that we all got really excited about. We had seen it in our in our prior uh, careers before heading to school where, you know, the teams that excelled the most are the ones that are able to say, hey, here's what we know and, and how do we scale that to the rest of the company? And so that was really the start of Tango is, is we wanted to basically make documentation a passive process. Um, turn it into something that just by executing in your role, you're inherently creating documentation. So that was really, that was our start.
0: Yeah, I love it. I mean, there's huge demand for that too. I do a lot of corporate consulting and I can tell you that that is one of the roadblocks that a lot of these, um, even the high performing teams have is extracting and recognizing that the knowledge exists inside of the heads of these people and what happens if they lose them. And That happens, right?
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, what happens also with process is at the high, you know, at the leadership levels, a lot of leaders will assume, oh, you know, our company runs on 40 core processes. Um, When you start talking to frontline workers, the people that are actually executing on that process, we've seen that number be 30, 40x what what leaders um know to be true and so there's just this lack of visibility and then you know when you ask those frontline workers how much of your process is documented we actually did this in a in a webinar um a majority of those people said that you know 25 to 50 percent of our process is documented that becomes really challenging when you have people leaving maybe you have layoffs you have new hires how are they supposed to how are they supposed to know what those 1,200 processes might
0: be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, as, as somebody who used to be a business process consultant, I have been on the front lines too. And I have seen that the devil is in the details, right? And it's, you can you can commit to your 40 processes throughout the organization, but those frontline workers are executing in, in a very detailed way. And when those aren't, those details aren't clear, that's where we end up with The breakdown, right? So, whatever your strategy is, doesn't matter if the execution continues to be fragmented and decentralized, right?
1: Totally, Uh, yeah. And I think there's a piece in there where those processes also evolve, Uh, and and the improvisation that frontline workers often have to create and, and they encounter daily. That means that your your processes need to adapt. Um, you know, there's I mentioned it kind of at the beginning, but everyone talks about, oh yeah, the documentation we have, like we have some of it, but a lot of it's stale. Um yeah. and that's a real problem that we're we're trying to address too.
0: So tell me a little bit more about how you've addressed this. Partially because I'm being self-serving now, because I want to know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I mean, what you've got is a great story around really understanding the problem area and trying to develop something accessible that's going to solve it. So tell me a little bit more about how that actually happens.
1: Yeah. So I'll I'll get very tactical about what our product does. So we are a Chrome extension as well as a desktop application that allows you to um, basically turn it on, press play, press capture, walk through your process on any web page, any tool. um, And we capture the actions, the clicks, types, text, copy, paste um, of everything that you do. Once you're done with that process, you hit end capture. And then what we spit out is a step-by-step tutorial automatically of screenshots, descriptions, URLs of everything that you just did. Um, and we give you a canvas to to edit it as well. You know, maybe you picked up an extra click. Maybe you didn't mean to do that one thing. Um, and then you know what you have at your fingertips is the documentation that would usually take you hours, all the screenshots, all the editing, all the compiling of links. Um, we We give that to you in a matter of seconds.
0: and who's the ideal client?
1: So we've seen a, a ton of adoption from customer support teams, IT teams, teams with training in their titles. Basically, anyone that needs to teach a lot of people how to use software within their organization. Um, support teams tend to be a great one because um, they're large teams. They're typically, you know, defining escalation paths, reactive to tickets that are coming in, helping users get over you know, an issue that they're experiencing and Tango really becomes a sidekick for them, um, which is pretty powerful. So that internal and external training use case, if that's core to the role, then Tango usually ends up being a great fit.
0: Do you think it would be a good fit for, um, I'm thinking about even like solo entrepreneurs who hire their first team member and hire virtual assistants and they're they're always confounded by how they document and and they feel like they need to create a whole bunch of stuff before they can even hire their first team member, which leaves them at a point of not being able to grow.
1: Yeah. And I'll, I'll generalize that even at a higher level, like any new hire onboarding, right? I think there's, uh, again, there's so many processes that need to be documented, especially when you're hiring for your first person in a role or in a function and you're saying okay i used to do this <laughs> all the time and here's what i did um now i'm expecting you to kind of take that run with it build on top of it um, the first step is writing it down and so um yeah whether you're a solopreneur whether you're a team leader i think onboarding new hires is a is a core use case
0: so what prevents i mean there's this gap right where we have all these undocumented processes that are happening you know 75% of them are undocumented. So why?
1: At the individual level, it's a little bit of, you know, I don't see the ROI or maybe um, I have to do this kind of on extra time. You know, I've got a core job that I need to fulfill. But then when it comes to documenting what that core job is, I need to do that after hours. And again, like, like you know, the staleness piece, like businesses change rapidly, processes change rapidly for people to create something that's going to go out of date quickly, they tend to, you know, they tend to not see the ROI there. I think another piece that, you know, is is less focused on the individual and more about the team, you know, which articulates a little bit of like the movement and the vision that we have. Scaling your knowledge, you know, having impact through others typically isn't included in a performance review, right? Mm -hmm. Your ability to to execute and your ability to amass knowledge is typically what is tied to that. And so, you know, for us, what we're trying to say is that, you know, achieving scale through the processes that you've defined, the knowledge that you've accumulated, making sure others can replicate that and and follow your lead, that should be sort of what defines performance within an organization. So there's a few factors at play there. you know, and I think it's really part of what we're doing beyond just Tango, the Chrome extension. What we're really trying to say is that, you know, documentation, that's the leading indicator of operational excellence. Every team leader wants to be operationally excellent. And the first step is, what are we doing today and how can how can we adjust that?
0: Yeah. So let me back up. You dropped out of Harvard, which a lot of people don't do. <laughs> And that's part of your that's part of your origin story, right? So tell me a little bit more about that. What did that mean to you?
1: Sure. So, I mean it it is it is absolutely part of the origin story. I think when we were working at tango, it almost became a no brainer, though. Um, you know, we were at Harvard for graduate school, so you know, the three of us had already, you know, we, we had undergraduate degrees. We had, you know prior careers before going to, to business school. Um, and the ultimate goal for us in going to business school was to either start a company, find some co-founders, or join an early stage company. And when that opportunity presented itself, it was a little bit like we kind of got what we were looking for. So let's go for it. Um, yeah. And then, you know, the other piece as well is that, you know, entrepreneurship and um, you know, business opportunity is so much about timing Um, you know the onset of the pandemic which happened during our first year at at hbs and that's right around when we were thinking about tango it really accelerated a lot of our thinking um, and accelerated a lot of our customers thinking too because what had happened was these gaps around documentation these gaps around operational excellence had gotten exposed all these teams went remote distributed and suddenly, team leaders realized, "Oh my gosh! Like we, we don't even, we don't even really know what it takes to execute in this role." And so, um, that for us turned into a call to action to say, "We should probably go build this because the market needs it and customers need it." Um, the the level of urgency around the conversations we were having was was palpable. And so, um, you know, when you see that type of opportunity you know, you're going to, you're going to take risks and you're going to make you know decisions that maybe at the outset look like, oh, I don't know if I would drop out of Harvard, um, <laughs> but it was the right time.
0: Yeah. And did you, and you had partners and did those partners fulfill all the roles that you needed? Were you bootstrapping, but you went for money at some point in time, didn't you?
1: We did. So, um, Yeah. So it's, it was a founding team of the three of us. Um, You know, we're obviously a a software company. And so um, what you often need in software is a great team of engineers. And and so we went out to raise our seed round of funding pretty shortly after we dropped out. I think it was the fall of 2020 Um, basically saying, Hey, you know what, here are the skill sets that we need in an engineering team to be able to take this prototype and, um, bring a real product to market, and and so you know that's what kind of got us started on the on the venture backed sort of growth startup path.
0: Yeah, and was that how far in was that?
1: Four, four months, five months. Oh,
0: okay, so, so pretty, you
1: guys pretty early. We yeah, we had a working prototype um, that we could bring together in pitch decks. Um, but you know what was what was really fascinating, what excited investors the most. Was all those conversations that we were having with customers and that urgency that we felt, we were able to put them in touch with investors and say, "Hey, you should actually, you should talk to these these people. They're thinking about investing in us. Articulate the problems you're experiencing and how Tango would would solve that if we're able to build it." Um, and so, you know, really, it was those customers that were that allowed us to secure our initial funding for the business.
0: Mm-hmm. And then, how long ago was
1: that? so fall of 2020 it's a little over a little over two years now um since then we also raised a series a um series a funding in in april of this past year so um you know that allowed us to continue to grow the team like i said 35 people today remote fully distributed um and you know it gives us enough capital to kind of go into a lot of market uncertainty that people are projecting in, in 2023
0: yeah. And I, I mean, who knows how much validity there is to that, if it's hype, if it's, and and so that's a really good question. So you've been, you've endured for, you know, three years ish. And what do you think has been sort of the driving force? What's kept you kind of going? Because this can be a hard journey, right? Especially when you introduce um, capital into your business, then the ownership structure changes and who you're accountable to changes and so, tell me a little bit more about what's kind of driving you forward.
1: The biggest thing, and, and this makes it easier to manage a lot of those stakeholders, is if you're able to truly prioritize the customer. I think what, mm-hmm. what we've been able to build, which you know at this point is is truly become like an award-winning product, is is because of our you know focus on the customer. And so when you talk to investors, when you talk to advisors, when you talk to the team about why are we going this direction versus another, like, what is it that we're focused on? If it all comes back to the customer and the customer can clearly articulate the value that they're receiving from the product, where they want to see the product go, what other jobs to be done they have, um, it kind of cuts out a lot of the noise because you're right when you when you introduce more capital you introduce more stakeholders they have their own priorities they have things that they care about but if you can kind of continue to beat this drum of we listen to the customer we prioritize the customer and that's why we're doing what we're doing um it uh you know it tends to it tends to cut out the noise So
0: to be completely self-serving, I want to talk to you about uh, innovation strategy because that is one of my areas of focus. And so tell me a little bit about how you're harnessing that customer feedback and the the customer needs back into the business. What's the innovation cycle look like? How are you managing that?
1: Yeah. So I think there's kind of two components um, to keeping that sort of loop with the customer. There's quantitative feedback as well as qualitative feedback. And so, you know, my my prior experience um, before business school, I was a, a data scientist uh, at Uber for a little over four years and had a few other experiences along the way. And so my background is in a lot of that quantitative analysis. Mm-hmm. And I think by being at, at Uber, which was a best-in-class data organization, I was able to understand how, you know, data can serve as that, like, leading trigger or leading hypothesis that then drives a lot of the questioning and a lot of the um, understanding that you need to get from customers. And so we kind of have a recurring cadence of data within Tango where, you know, we have obviously like high level KPIs with their business metrics, but um, the team is also, you know, encouraged to explore hypotheses that they have. And then that dictates, oh, hey, we're seeing this type of behavior in the data let's go talk to a set of customers that fit that, you know, sort of behavioral demographic and understand why they're doing what it is that they're doing. You know, why are they engaging with this, this feature in this way, um, you know, which may be unexpected or maybe totally what we intended. Right. So I think you need the marriage between that qualitative and quantitative. One can't speak louder than the other. Um, And, you know, that really allows us to make sure that, we're not just seeing the behavior at scale, but we're also understanding why it is what they're doing. So that, that really drives a lot of our, our innovation.
0: The data. Mm-hmm. And who's interpreting the data? Like, do you have an actual team of individuals whose job it is, is to watch? That's you.
1: <laughs> That's me, yeah. but we're, I'm trying to remove, you know, some of that dependency obviously as the CEO, I've got a lot yeah. of things going yeah. on, but um no, I, I think we've brought on more people who are, um, you know, dangerous with data, which is good. Um, but you know, a lot of our like planning process, it, it you know, involves kind of big rocks, KPIs, different priorities. And so, you know, the team is very like data minded. Um, mm-hmm. but in terms of, you know, deeper dive analyses, that historically has been me today, but I'm, I'm excited for a few other folks that we're bringing on.
0: And would you say that the the original partners and and who I'm assuming are are in leadership capacity now, did you all bring to the table you know complementary skill sets or were there real big gaps that you needed to fill?
1: I mean, there were there will always be gaps, um, <laughs> you know. But I would say, yeah, yeah, we were very complementary. So Brian, my co-founder, engineering background. Um very comfortably slotted into the cto role which we needed obviously as a C- as a software company um dan my other co-founder had been an investor and really knew sort of the the financial ins and outs um and also just like some of these different like monetization models and strategies from a lot of the companies that he invested in um, particularly on the go-to-market side so he slotted in nicely there you know, and then for me, um, you know, I had had some experience with, you know, obviously at high growth companies, leading teams, um, also, you know, fundraising. And so all those experiences kind of fit well with, with the CEO role. So, um, we were extremely complimentary, but I think, you know, the biggest thing you, you can look for kind of complementary skill sets in co-founders. I mean, that's pretty easy to look at in a resume, but you know the intangible piece, just of how we worked together. I, th- I felt like there was um, a sort of an an undertone of, you know, what we're going to have healthy discussions, healthy debates, but ultimately what we decide as a group, even if we disagree, even if one of us disagrees, um, it's a culture of sort of disagree and commit. Um yeah. and So that I think has really allowed us to to be successful. The complementary nature, like obviously has helped, but um, the way we make decisions and process information um, has, has probably been the biggest benefit.
0: Yeah, absolutely critical, right? You've seen so many examples of the companies where, you know, the, the partners get together on a win, and it falls apart because there's just a lack of value structure or communication skills or whatever it might be. And, and those, You know, my partners and I have been together for 20 years. And just because we had so much background together, um, when we built a software company, it was just like sliding right in. And we've, you know, we just communicate well. And and that's been incredibly important. They happen to be really good technical resources, too. So that helps. But I think that 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 gelling of the leadership team is extremely important.
1: I mean, we we talk about it like we probably spend more time with each other than we do anybody else in our lives, right? I mean, it's, it's sort of a, when you phrase it like that, it's kind of a grim reality, but that is the nature of a founding relationship. Yep. Um, you need to be able to have like the hardest of hard conversations. Um, you need to be motivating each other, reinforcing, you know, what you want the company to stand for you know, the other piece too, is that like, people rarely give the founding team feedback on your team. You know, you guys are assumed to have the most context or, um, the strategy and the vision for the company. And so there's not a lot of upward feedback. So you also need to be that sounding board for your founding team where you say, Hey man, like, here's some things I think we could like work on together and improve. Um, and that journey has been incredibly rewarding. Um, you know, I think we all embrace kind of that like growth mindset, the idea that we can continue to get better, and so um, that's another piece too. Like if you can't, if you can't give your your co-founder honest feedback, it's going to be a long, or maybe maybe very short journey.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think also the commitment to a growth plan, like a an intentional growth plan amongst yourselves, is critical to, you know, the the health of that leadership team. Sure. Yeah. Um so let's uh switch text a little bit. Um so you have a software company and a software company um, can grow through a number of different models. So tell me a little bit about what growth has meant to you and what's worked best for you. Yeah, and
1: this is this is an area that we spent a lot of time earlier on thinking about as we were getting excited about the idea as we understood the market opportunity, the inherent benefit that our product has to to a growth model is that you know documentation is usually a one-to-many relationship meaning there's someone who creates documentation and then there are usually a lot of people that consume that documentation, that knowledge. because of that, that's a, a natural viral loop to get the product in front of more people. And so what we focused on early in our product development was how do we continue to accelerate that one to many relationship? How do we make it as easy as possible for the creator of documentation to share a tango? Um, because you know they're sharing it so someone else can learn it, someone else can get up to speed. And we need that person to know that this was created with Tango. And so to date, 40% of our growth has come from word of mouth and that viral loop, which is um, not just, you know, something that's exciting about the spread referral testimonial nature of the business, but um, it's also incredibly low cost. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. A lot of people might spend on paid marketing ads. You know, we've, we've benefited tremendously from our users doing a lot of that work for us. Um, so that has been amazing, you know, just an amazing sort of viral growth strategy. I would say the other piece that we really emphasized was being product-led and what that means, you know, I mean, any, any creator of product is going to say, well, like the, you know, we're product-led we need to be, we need to win on the product, but, um, For us, really what that meant was um, being bottoms up and driving adoption uh, sort of from those frontline creators of documentation. Uh, The opposite would be being sales led, going to team leaders, selling them on a solution, and then it sort of comes top down to the rest of the team. What we said was, let's focus on the people that are feeling this pain point acutely (laughs) because it's gonna make our marketing more compelling It's going to allow us to to continue to build a product for those people. Um, And, you know, we can make everything self-serve. So those strategies in tandem have been really powerful because that viral loop also benefits from the fact that anyone can see and experience Tango and sign up, you know, in a matter of seconds.
0: So do you employ a sales team? Is there a sales strategy, a direct sales strategy, or are you kind of hitting it from both sides?
1: So we have uh, one salesperson, who's great. Um, but the other benefit of being product-led is, you know, we've got over two hundred thousand users today, um, mm-hmm. and you know, Colby, our sales guy, can kind of look at that pipeline of users and their level of engagement, whether they've upgraded to our Pro plan, which is also self-serve, and he can say, "Oh, these would be really interesting enterprise customers. You know, let me reach out and see if there's there's a fit." And so a lot of his work to date and a lot of the the deals that he's signed has come from people finding us downloading the products, using it, and then having a conversation with Colby. And so, you know, I think one of the benefits of being product led is that you also don't necessarily need to invest super heavily in sales. I mean, we're, we're lucky in the sense that we have a great salesperson who's able to kind of manage that pipeline and and handle what is ultimately a lot of inbound leads. Um yeah. so we are hitting it from both sides but I would say you know the core focus is still on that that top of funnel user growth.
0: And how are those guys finding you? I mean is that traditional, you know, content or are you showing up in different communities?
1: So I mean, for, you know, people may laugh at this, but TikTok has been incredible for us. So the viral loop is you know 40% like we said but you know there's obviously the question of when that first person finds tango how do they find it yeah, yeah. Yeah. um you know tiktok has been amazing our product sort of showcases really well via short form video um really easy to demo tango and get a sense for what it's about um and then i would say the other thing too is that you know we have really like raving fans who are users um And so, you know, anytime you can lead into user-generated content, testimonials, that's usually the best proof point for your product, um, as opposed to, you know, what you might be telling a prospective customer. And so TikTok, as well as some other channels that we're, you know, we're still ramping up on have have been really great to get that first user
0: you know i got tiktok gives a bad rap gets a bad rap in sort of traditional business circle. maybe maybe i'm hoping that's changing now i'm i'm 47 right so i'm not the tiktok generation but i will spend a considerable amount of time on there because there are some incredibly talented people and the yeah. the business use case is getting super interesting so that that really consumable bite sized content if if the product lends itself to that kind of consumption, I would be leveraging that like a hundred percent.
1: Do you yeah, have to do have, any dances? I mean, <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's, I mean, I don't thankfully, but, but um, you know, the, the people that we work with are yeah, like you said, phenomenal. I mean, it's a unique skill set um, to be able to communicate a message so clearly. I think where our product also lends itself to that is like. Users reach our aha moment really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. That's really important in a product-led business. Like, if you can get to that point where you're like, "Holy cow, I see the value of this product," if you can get to that in a matter of minutes. I think right now, or maybe yeah, most recently when we when we measured this, it was four point eight minutes for a user from the from the point where they create an account to they make their first tank out. Um, and so that for us, that's that's the aha moment. So people can get there really quickly. They see the value. They become recurring users. That translates to that short form too. You know, if people can demo the product and show the value really quickly, um, you know, that's a that's a really viable channel.
0: What a great test as well, right? If you if you can make a TikTok video and it's effective in in you know under five minutes then I think that proves you've got viability inside of the product and the use case, right?
1: <laughs> I, think, <laughs> love yeah, it. I think so.
0: I love it. So what's in the future for Tango? What's in the future for you guys?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think for us, it's um, continuing to build for those creators of documentation. We've got um, you know, a lot of exciting things that we want to um, deploy in the next year part of that, not just for creators, but also for viewers. So if you think about, you know, traditionally today, going into your internal wiki, finding a relevant piece of documentation, trying to follow along, you're usually kind of splitting your screen, going through the process, you know, and then following on one side. What we want to really do is actually drive that tango that someone's created real time onto your screen to actually walk you through the steps. So imagine, you know, a cursor or a highlight field that actually shows you, hey, to execute on this task, here's where you go. Um, And so, you know, that'll continue to to build for the viewer, but also give the right feedback back to the creator. Like, hey, someone was able to do this in 10 minutes um, because of the workflow that you created on Tango. So there's a lot of cool stuff that we've, we've got planned in the hopper. And, you know, I think that the big vision for us is, you know, how do we make documentation something that is adaptable to the rate of change of a business is adaptable to anyone who's consuming it, anyone who's creating it. Um, That dynamic nature, I think is really where existing solutions fall flat because usually when it's created it stays static for a while and then it's then it's out of date.
0: Yeah and I think there's also a tendency to think that whatever we produce has to be like you know high production value and you know formatted in a certain way and all of that and if we can it's kind of like with with uh, content creation these days that the more kind of authentic it is the the more believable and the more useful it is so we're moving away from this need for you know, for that, what I think is a big barrier to people getting started.
1: Totally, yeah. I mean, we we've embraced that in our product development too. I mean, we try to remove as much formatting need as as possible. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the feedback we get is you know, people are like, oh, I just I love the look and feel of the Tango. Like it's it's a lot. I know. More I just I think. Share.
0: I think about the, the like the frontline workers, uh, you know, I worked at a utility doing, you know, some process improvement and integration work. And I think about these, these folks who were sitting there in their trucks and those were the keepers of the knowledge. They knew, they knew the process and, and getting them to the office to sit down and document processes was forget it, right? they were being measured on, you know, how quickly they could do service calls, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So super interesting um, opportunity, yeah. I think. Uh, I have one question just before we wrap up that uh, I ask all of my guests and I'd love to hear your perspective on it, especially given that you dropped out of Harvard. Um, what's the difference? <laughs> and I actually totally get it. Um, yeah. What's the difference between what we hear out there in the business world, in business school and in the online business world, and what's real about running a business?
1: It's a good question. I, you know, I love the I love the classroom environment at HBS because it was all case study based, all grounded in reality. Um, And you needed to have kind of like a healthy discussion on a path forward. What what was this business going to do? At this point in time, they were facing some dilemma and you needed to kind of, you know, lay the course for for what they were going to do next. Really engaging form of learning. I think where that's like pretty disconnected from building Mm. a business Mm. is that those points in time, those decisions are happening multiple times a day. Um, you know, there's not just this like, all right, let's let's take the temperature, let's get all the resources together, let's package it into a case study. Yeah, let's decide what we're (laughs) gonna do. It's like, okay, well, I'm facing a decision now, and this decision needs to be made in an hour. And then like an hour later, there's a new decision that comes up, and I need to react in real time. And then there's some things I could take more time with and think about, but um, you know, it's not as you don't have as full of a picture as you might in a case study that has exhibits and appendixes, and, you know, you can leverage all these different resources to come up with an analysis, you know, a lot of times you need to, you know, in a, in a real business, you need to kind of go with your gut and hopefully yeah. your gut is informed by being prepared and being thoughtful and having the insights that you need, but, you know, you don't, you don't have these, these moments in time to, Turn your business into a case study. Let me
0: just go write a case study. Yeah. I mean, we did. I have a master's degree in business as well. And I like the amount of case, the amount of HBR case studies that (laughs) we or Harvard Business School case studies that we had to do were just, you know, amazing. And there's a there's a usefulness to them for sure. But when you get into entrepreneurship and you start going it's, you you know, it's a tidal wave and you never stop making decisions. And I think that that's one of the things I wish people knew is that you're never arriving, right? You're never arriving at this place you thought you'd get to. By the time you get there, you're already looking at something else. And so the, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, I think struggle with this, where they think that they should have reached a milestone and they've failed because they haven't. But, you know, once you accept that entrepreneurship is just a flow, and it's a flow of decisions. Totally. It's a flow of, of circumstances. Um, it becomes a little bit more comfortable. Not a lot, but a little bit.
1: <laughs> All right. It's a really good way to frame it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and I think I wish more people knew that and and knew that going in. Um, We're coming up on time. I want to thank you a lot for taking the time to chat with me today. And of course I've got Tango up on my screen right now because I know I'm going to have to go and (laughs) check it out um, for my own clients, but can you tell the listeners where they can find you?
1: Yes. So the easiest way, just go to tango.us. That's our website. Um, And if you want to reach out directly to me, talk a little bit more about some of the things we talked about on this show, uh, feel free to reach out directly at Ken, K-E-N, at Tango.us.
0: Awesome. We'll put all of those links in the show notes and we will send people off to become new fans, new raving fans of Tango. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Okay. And that's a wrap. I'm so happy we had the opportunity to chat with Ken today to hear more about how his business came to be, his experiences along the way, and what the future of the business entails. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Real People Real Business Show, where we can get the real entrepreneurial stories and journeys that you can relate to. The show notes, resources, and links from this episode are available on our website and social media platforms. Thanks again for joining us today. If you've enjoyed today's content, I would love for you to leave us a review on whatever platform you're on to help us share these genuine stories with an even bigger audience. Until next time, keep building, keep dreaming, and keep being real.